Welcome, listeners, to the very first episode of Flipping the Switch, a podcast brought to you by the folks at Jones Onslow EMC. I'm your host, Steve Goodson, and I'll be with you each month. I'll be sharing things about the co-op and what we're doing in the community. We'll be sharing energy, energy efficiency tips and things that you can do around your home to save money. We'll be talking about neat things that Jones Onslow is doing to assist our members to enhance our customer service to you guys. And we'll be talking about much more. So, let's start flipping the switch. My first guest is Paula Reddick, the co-op's assistant vice president of community and public relations. And we're going to talk a little about a great community program that we started many, many years ago. And we're actually celebrating a pretty special anniversary this year, and that's the Bright Ideas Grant Program. So, Paula, thanks for joining me. Glad to be with you. Good. Well, here we go. You are our first official guest of I'm Flipping excited. the Switch. All right. Here we go. So, give our listeners a little history about Bright Ideas when the program started, its purpose, and most importantly, why we decided to get involved. Okay. Well, the Bright Ideas Grant Program, one of my favorite programs I'm involved in, was implemented in 1994. So this is a big year because we're celebrating our 25th anniversary. This educational program, sponsored locally by Jones Onslow EMC and on a statewide level by the North Carolina Electric Cooperatives, provides funding for many grants to educators to incorporate creative and innovative initiatives in their classroom that could not be covered by traditional school funding. These grants supplement, not replace state and local funds. Grants are available to all public school teachers and principals grades K through 12 at 52 schools in Jones and Oslo counties and the Topsail area of Pender counties. Educators are eligible regardless of whether their school is served by Jones Onslow Electric Membership Corporation. Jones Onslow got involved in this program because we've always had a focus on education because we realize our young people are our most vital resource. So by sponsoring this program, we felt that we could impact the educations of thousands of students each year. That's awesome. So you mentioned impact. So let's talk about impact. 52 schools. I know we've, we've added a, a couple, what, three schools last year in the uh, Surf City area. Surf City Midland uh, Elementary School. Uh, yeah, we, we added those. So before that, so it's, it's been around the, the, the mid, mid to upper 40s uh, and now with those schools added. So talk about, and of course it's in Jones County, Onslow County, and then areas of Pender County that we n- don't necessarily serve but where, where folks may live. Talk about the impact that the program has had over the years on the schools, educators, students, and stuff like that. The program has had a tremendous impact on our school system and, more importantly, on the students. Since the inception of the program, Jones Onslow has funded over 1,700 grants, totaling more than $1.2 million to over 5,200 educators. More importantly, these funds have had a direct impact on the education of over 482,000 students in our community that have allowed them to do these creative classroom projects. That's cool. So let me ask you this. Haven't we, at one of the last banquets, we have a banquet every year just to you know, just let let the listeners know. At one of the last banquets, we, we didn't have one last year just because the hurricane, Florence, and and everything going on with that. But one at one of the previous banquets, didn't we actually award a grant to a teacher that had been a student at a school that had received a grant? Haven't we? We had have that done that. Yet? In fact, he was a student. His name is Jason. I can't remember his last yeah, name, but yeah. he was a teacher at Jacksonville High School. But he actually was involved in one of our first grants the first year at Bell Fork Elementary in a garden and outside. Okay. So he was so he was a student at Bell Fork, and, and then coming full circle, he was a teacher at Jacksonville High School. and received a grant. So that was really neat. Speaking of grants, individual grants. So you've been our point point of contact or point for the program since, since the beginning. In fact, this and just various other things that you do with schools, you've got a title of, your, your title is very long, but a lot of people just know you as 
school lady. So with that said, tell me, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Give me a couple of grants that kind of stand out in your mind that have been creative or impactful or something over the years. Okay, well, I've had the good fortune to be the program's coordinator since the inception of the program, so it's given me a front row seat to see the creative projects that our educators have implemented. It's kind of hard to pick because they've all been so wonderful, but I'm going, I've narrowed it down to one of my favorite projects was one of our first projects that was funded at Dixon Elementary to an educator, Beth Howard. Um, the grant was titled The Great Outdoors, and it provided an outdoor learning environment for our students. But what was really cool was each year after that, she applied for grants to expand this project. So she received a grant to have her students paint the light poles near the garden to represent the North Carolina light houses. She incorporated hammocks so her students could just hang around reading. She added a greenhouse, and there were other grants that followed. So it was wonderful to see how each year these grants impacted her students. I have to say another grant that stands out was one that was funded last year at White Oak High School, and it was for an apiary where the students raised honeybees, and this was the first public school apiary in North Carolina. We've got a lot of really creative teachers out there, uh, really great teachers that have great ideas that want to do more than just stand up in front of the class and, and, and talk to kids and lecture them and do things. And a lot of times that's what they have to do because they just don't have the resources to, to that's go right. out and do these creative things. So that's, that's the right. big, I mean, in the it, end, that's the big impact. It is, and the, and the students get hands-on activities, and they get to dig in the dirt and do all different kinds of things that they wouldn't be able to do without the Bright Ideas grant program. Cool. Last question. Bright Ideas 2019-2020 coming up here. 25th anniversary. we got big things happening. We, we, we don't know what we're going to do yet with the banquet, but it's going to be, it's going to be, it, big. It's going to be big. But anyway, when will educators start to see the information about the program, and when will they start being able to submit the application? Just kind of walk them through the process. All right. Well, we're going to be going out to the schools to visit with the administrators and pro- provide the information for this year's program the first part of August. Um, and then we'll also have the applications that will be available on our website August 1st. So look. When you come back to school um, in August, your educators or your administrators will have the information, and uh, we look forward to seeing all your grant applications and your bright ideas. We, and just as a side note, and I'm sure Paula says this, we love to fund them all. We get, we get hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of requests every year. Unfortunately, we have a, a set budget of money that we can fund, fund these grants with, and we wish we could fund them more, but we can't. So. Right. I think last year we had over $750,000 worth of requests. Um, over 300 applications, and we were able to fund 65 projects, and we were able to fund at $70,000. Wow, that's awesome. Well, thank you for coming and sharing. You'll be back because part of this podcast is going to talk about community programs, community, you know, community relations and stuff like that, and that's obviously, as we talked about in your title, that's your job. So uh, thank you for coming, and I appreciate it. Glad to be here and glad to be able to share that. So educators, get those minds going. We can't wait to see your bright ideas. Awesome. Well, listen, we'll be right back next up. May is National Electrical Safety Month, and the co-op safety manager, Chris Banks, will be joining us to talk about making electric safety a priority for you and your family. So hang tight. Safety is a big part of who we are, and as your electric cooperative, we want it to be a big part of who you are, too. Whether you're using ordinary appliances or preparing for a storm, we're here with tips, tools, and information to help you stay safe. We're back. And now I'd like to welcome the co-op safety manager, Chris Banks, to the show. And we're going to talk a little bit about safety. So, Chris, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. All right. May is a National Electrical Safety Month. 
And I think it comes at a great time. We're all going to be outdoors. It's summertime. We're going to be working in the yard. Kids will be outdoor playing. We might be outdoors throwing the football with the kids or whatever. So outdoor electrical safety. Give us a few things that we need to remember. Okay. Like you said, you know, more people are going to be outside. Summer months, we're going to be having our barbecues, having get-togethers, people coming over. One of the biggest things I can say is, uh, you know, a lot of people are doing their yard activities, planting mm-hmm. bushes, uh, maybe putting new decks on their houses, things like that. Uh, when they're doing those things, one thing they need to do is, is call in an 811 ticket, okay. which is getting a locate on services, the utilities around their their residence, their house. And it's not just the power company, the Jones Islands Lowe's Utilities, is also your cable company and, and other people that might be in the ground as well. Okay. So that's definitely, they don't want to get in to digging into a power line. That's, you know, that's one of the most dangerous things you can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Getting there a, a waiting period, you have to call and then it's like, is it like a 48 hour period or something? Yeah, 48 like that? hours. And if you don't get any response and, and within that time, if you want to call them back and okay. they'll let you know where they're at on, that, on those tickets and where they're at on getting that service located for you. All right. Great. That's, that's a great, that's a great tip. What about kids? Kids playing outside, around everybody talks about the the green boxes on the ground or just playing outside P- kids don't fly kites like they used to anymore they yeah. fly drones now i guess or yeah. whatever oh, yeah. so talk to me if you would or talk to us about the green boxes which we know are transformers mm-hmm. or and or potentially overhead power lines yes yeah, another thing that everyone should should always keep in mind is where their utility is on their property whether it be an overhead service coming to their garage, to their, to their house, or if you live in a subdivision and you have the underground utilities and you have the transformers, normally at the foot of your driveway between your house and neighbor's house maybe, or maybe a secondary pedestal, all of our transformers, switches, pedestals, they're all green boxes. And, of course, you know they've got the live wires inside of them. So we always want to be sure that everybody knows where those are at, stay away from those, if you see a potential that there's a, a danger, please give us a call. We'll come out and inspect those and, and let you know whether, uh, you know, something needs to be fixed or if that's normal conditions. You know, a lot of people are going to have to get-togethers over the summer, the 4th of July parties, things like that. And there's going to be people coming to your residence that don't normally come there on a normal basis. And you may want to just let them know, hey... Before you leave, watch out for the transformer on the side of the driveway. <laughs> when they're backing out or exactly, something. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> a lot of our transformers get hit because of people backing out of the driveway. And if you're if someone's not familiar with that area, then they don't realize that that transformer's back there. Of course, yeah. the resident probably knows, you know, because they, they're in and out of the driveway every yeah. day. But someone who's coming to visit may not know and may get too close, bump into it, and then we've got a potential hazard. So Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Let's move inside. Okay. So, obviously, a ton of precautions, and these are things year-round, not just during the summer months. I mean, obviously, year-round. So, talk to me about different precautions or different safety tips that folks, kids, parents, inside the house. You know, like we were talking about earlier, for some reason, in the summer months, we, we start trying to do a lot of upgrades in our houses and and trying to get things done that we've put off during the winter months. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those things could be changing out simple outlets in the house, changing out light fixtures, maybe changing an old fan, ceiling fan, to a new ceiling fan. It could be remodeling a bathroom, something like that. 
make sure when you're working in these areas and dealing with the electricity that you turn off the proper breakers in your breaker panel for the, that location. And then, uh, you know, just like we do in the field, our, our linemen, make sure that you test that outlet or test those wires to make sure they are de-energized before you start messing with it. Please don't assume that you switched off the right breaker and then just go to work. So taking on a project, maybe painting your, a room or or maybe even potentially doing something with plumbing, that's something that you might want to be adventurous with Oh yeah. if, if that's the case. Being adventurous with electricity inside your home, not a good idea. Oh, no. Call a licensed electrician call, if, call. You, don't, if exactly. you don't know. Okay. Exactly. That, okay. that electrician, you know, that's what they do for a living. Just like, you know, this is what we do for a living. And they're going to do those proper steps. Yeah. They're, they're going to turn off the breakers. They're going to test the, the electricity to make sure that it's off before they do any work themselves. Yeah. So. A mess up painting you might paint the wrong color and your wife might get mad at you because you painted the room the wrong color, but oh, a yeah. mess up with electricity could be obviously deadly. Exactly. So yes, last question. If you could stress one thing, one thing only to our listeners about electricity and safety, what would that one thing be? Definitely if there's any down power lines or any lines at all around your residence or if you're traveling, you see any lines down, please stop and, and don't try to approach those those lines, please call someone and let them, let us come out and determine whether that's an energized line. Let us determine whether it's our line or if it's cable TV. The last thing we want anybody to do is, is to get hurt. And like we were talking about inside, when we arrive, if it's one of our lines, we do the same thing. We make sure we test and we make sure that line's either energized or de-energized. And before we work on it, we will de-energize it so that we can work on it safely, just like we're asking you to work inside safely. Moral of the story, if you see a down line, assume it's an electrical line, whether it is or not, and assume that it's hot or live and stay away from it and call us. That's right. Please call us. We'll we'll come out. Uh, No charge. We'll come out, uh, especially with all the storms. And we'll come out quickly because it's a a hazard for us, right? right? That's right. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's great. Well, Chris, thank you for the for the insight. National Electrical Safety Month is May, but uh, really it's something that we should observe all year round, electrical safety around home. So thank you much. I appreciate it. We all use electricity differently. Sure, electricity turns the lights on. But our co-op is power. power. Power is the information that we give about efficiency. Safety. Technology. We trust the co-op. Because we are the co-op. Discover the power of your local co-op today. Welcome back to Flipping the Switch, brought to you by Jones Ons OEMC. Next up, we're going to talk a little energy efficiency, and I really can't think of anybody to get uh, advice from, uh, or who I would rather get advice from more than our own member services rep, Charles Chuck Westmoreland. So Charles, thank you for coming and joining us today. Yeah, man. Good to be here. Good. Good deal. Listen, Charles, summer's around the corner. We're all going to be uh, living in eastern North Carolina. We know it's going to get hot. It's going to get muggy. We're going to have days that the temperature is going to hit 90, 100 degrees. Um, so everybody, including me and you, our members, are going to go inside and crank their ACs down. They're going to turn their thermostats down uh, to keep their homes, homes cool. So if you could provide our listeners a little advice, specifically when it comes to heat pumps, and cooling their homes, maybe just a few general tips uh, to make sure that they're maximizing 
their energy dollars and that their heat pump is is working as efficiently as possible absolutely the first thing we'll talk about is the temperature when we're talking about cranking those thermostats down and of course that's what we all do uh it's easy to come in the house from the heat outside and our first thought is we need to turn this thing down to get cool uh actually you want to try to set your thermostat somewhere between 76 and 78 degrees uh as you want to set it as high as your comfort level will allow because the the uh, the lower the setting, the more energy it uses. And the key to cooling is, uh, of course, is uh, humidity control. And we'll talk about that a little in, in just a little bit. But the uh, uh, you can be comfortable at 78 degrees with, let's just say, uh, 40% humidity. You'll actually be hot at 70 degrees with 80% humidity. So of course the key to cooling is humidity control, and that's why we need to we need to really pay attention to what our thermostat settings are on. Awesome. So talk about uh, just really some basic things that folks can do again to to keep it making the heat pump operate um, as efficiently as possible. I know a rule of thumb might be uh, air filters, making sure your air filters. Some basic things is, you know, talk about making sure your heat pump, the thermostat. Thermostats are kind of crazy. we got smart thermostats now, but some folks may have the old traditional type thermostats, and they have on and off buttons, but they also have an auto button that sometimes, uh, whether, you know, the unit for the unit to run and or auto for the fan or run fan. So talk about a couple air filters, talking about just, you know, the the thermostat and how it looks and potentially some things besides just cranking out the temperature, some things with the thermostat, some things with the, uh, you know, about air filters and stuff like that. Sure, absolutely. Well, we'll start with the air filters because that is the most important part of the system that needs to be checked or addressed. And the good part about it is, it's the easiest part because normally the homeowner can do it. It doesn't cost you anything. Your air filters need to be changed every 30 days. And when I say every 30 days, religiously. The easiest way to remember to change them is every time you get a bill from Jones Oslo is run change your air filter. Even if it looks like it doesn't need it, change it anyway. They're inexpensive uh, for the most part. And the best thing to do is determine what size your filter is, whether it's a 20 by 20 or 20 by 25. There's all various sizes. It should be written right on the side of it. And just pick up a case of them and uh, throw them in the closet, and that way you've got one for, for, for every, every month. The, the whole system is based on airflow. And if we block the airflow 50%, then the unit's having to operate 50% harder, and it's costing you more money. So, again, the easiest way to remember that is every time you get a bill from JOEMC is, is run and change that air filter. On the thermostats, uh, even the later model conventional ones, you, your switch usually comprises of heat and or cool, auto, and emergency heat. Uh, we're going into the cooling season, but at any rate, uh, what I normally like to see is for folks to go to the thermostat and put it into whatever mode you're looking for. Just like now, we're looking for the cooling mode. So you would put your thermostat in cooling. The fan would be in auto. 
And what that means is the fan operates automatically with the system. Now you do have an on switch for the fan on your thermostat. And what that does is causes the fan to run continuously, 24 so it'll, hours a day. So it'll keep running if, right. if if the fan is in the on position, right. if that switch for the fan is in on position. Even if the unit may not be running, the fan, uh, the if even if the, I guess, the condenser or whatever exactly. is not running on the heat pump, the fan will keep running, and that'll continue to use electricity. Right, use energy. What, yeah. what the purpose for it is, Steve, is that – for instance, let's just say you're entertaining at the house, and maybe you have 15 or 20 people or, you know, six or eight couples over there. Uh, you would turn the fan in the on position just to keep the airflow moving, to keep every everybody comfortable while you had, a, 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 a we'll say, a large amount of people in your residence. But for normal operations, anytime the unit is in heat or cool, the fan needs to be in the auto position because – Fans are for your personal comfort, just like a, a parlor fan uh, or what I call a parlor fan. A ceiling fan. Ceiling a ceiling fans, fan, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, if you're in a room, uh, whether it be your bedroom or the family room or whatever, sitting in, in your recliner, sure, turn it on, you know, enjoy it. But if you get up to leave the house for a period of time, it's just like a light. If you're not in, If you're not in the room to feel it, it's not doing any good. It, it really doesn't help the air conditioner. It doesn't make any cool air. All it does is help circulate air, and it's for your personal comfort. So again, if you're not if you're not in if it's upstairs and you got three bedrooms upstairs, there is absolutely no point in having the ceiling fans running twenty four hours a day. Only when somebody's occupying the space. Great, quick. Okay, so let's talk quickly. So the things that we kind of talked about, they're DIY things, things that me as a homeowner. I can do around the house, pretty simple, changing the filters, making sure that my thermostat settings are correct. But let's just say, and I know we recommend it here, maintenance, getting a heat pump maintenanced once a year, twice a year by a certified professional. Talk to me about why, or talk to talk to the listeners and me about why that's important. What What's the purpose? You know, it costs some money. But talk to me and talk to us about why that's important. Absolutely. Critical. Critical. It needs to be done. I, as a general rule, I recommend our membership to our customers twice a year, spring and fall. Let me give you an example of, of one issue that I find every year. Um, in the summertime, for instance, if you get it checked in the spring, we're checking the Freon levels, the refrigerant, more commonly known as Freon. We're checking the refrigerant levels, and, of course, they're checking the motors, your fan motors and things of that nature. Uh, it's preventative maintenance. You wouldn't think about driving your car to the mountains, for instance, without changing the oil and having the brakes checked and having the tires checked. Well, this is the same thing. It needs to be done at least once or twice a year. In the fall, for instance... We all know that our, our, our heat pumps have an auxiliary heat strip, and it's designed to come on if the temperature is 32 degrees outside or below. However, if the refrigerant in the system is low, and we haven't had the unit checked in several years, that may move that number up to 40 degrees outside, because if the refrigerant's low, it diminishes the capacity of the heat pump. So it's very important to have it checked. I'm going to recommend twice a year. 
it's well worth the, the few dollars it costs to have them come out and take a look and, and make sure everything's operating properly because it's a mechanical system. And like any mechanical system, when is it going to fail? When it's running at its hardest peak, and that's in the middle of July and August or in the middle of February. And that is surely not the time that we want these things to go down for three or four days. So preventative maintenance, uh, you're right, Steve, is critical. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we preach that. And um, I'm going to have to get you on next month again to talk about the Goldilocks syndrome. Say you haven't had your heat pump maintenance and and, and or it's just your heat pump is, is many years old and uh, in the middle of the night or during the summertime or in the middle of the night during the wintertime, you wake up and it's 100 degrees in your house or it's 30 degrees in your house or whatever, uh, and you got to get a new heat pump. So maybe next month we'll talk about the Goldilocks syndrome, which is properly sizing a heat pump if you have to get it. And we'll talk about Jones Onslow actually offers some incentives and some rebates to help homeowners purchase new heat pumps. So going to put you on the spot real quick. We talked about heat pumps, but two or three other general things, no-cost things, easy things that homeowners can do this summer around their house to keep their home cool, to keep the heat pump maybe from having to work as hard as it's going to have to work. Two or three general things. Well, one of them we've already talked about, and of course I'll go back to that because it is so critical, and that's changing your filter. Next would be in the summertime is, is paying attention to the sunshine. If your home is facing east or west, you want to uh, make sure that you uh, uh, you don't really have to close the blinds, but you want to adjust them so that we're not getting any direct sunlight. Everything that's a plus in the in the in the winter is a negative in the summer, and vice versa. So we want to keep the house sort of. We don't want to live in a dungeon, but we want to keep the blinds closed or or, or adjusted. We want to keep the the drapes uh, adjusted so that we're not getting any direct sunlight. And by doing that, it helps hold the uh, uh, the temperature down in the house. Uh, ceiling fans again are critical. If you're in the house occupying the space, use the fans. And uh, again, the settings on the thermostat. Uh, you know, it, it may take a few days to get it adjusted, but the higher you can set that thermostat in the summertime, the less energy you're going to use. So I would recommend starting off somewhere between 78 and 76. And then you can then you can adjust it as you as you feel the need to. Charles, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the tips with heat pumps. Thanks for the tips, just the general energy efficiency tips. Uh, much like Paula earlier on in in this show, I mentioned when we talk energy efficiency, you're going to be back. So I really appreciate a lot. Like I said, next month we may talk about the Goldilocks syndrome. But thank you for joining us. Finally, as we wrap up the podcast, just want to give you a couple of general notes. So if you guys do not follow us on social media, consider doing so. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and we're on LinkedIn, and we're doing some pretty cool things. We just gave away last week, actually, a couple of hurricane preparedness kits. We did a post, and we just said, hey, hurricane preparedness week's here. Like and comment these posts, and we had it filled with uh, just a ton of different things. We had close to a 1,000 people respond to that post, and we gave away two kits, and you could have found that on uh, Facebook 
Instagram. We're also, during the month of May, doing a special promo for our outage text alert. Hurricane season is coming around. We hope that it's nice to us this year, unlike last year. But uh, we we started a new program uh, in the fall of last year. Actually, it, it, it started after the hurricane season called Outage Text Alerts where you can uh, notify us if you've got if it's a one-off outage at, at your home if it's just potentially you and your neighbor or uh, once uh, we know that there's a major outage we will text you um, if we have your phone number uh, you know obviously your cell phone number and say hey out at your home and we'll provide you know status updates and stuff like that so uh, for folks that, that are that register between May uh, the first part of May and the end of May, you'll be uh, registered to win a Polaroid One Step Two camera, the little Instamatic camera. So, kind of a cool gift. So, to find out more about that, you can go to our website, joemc.com slash text me, T E X T me, text me. Uh, and you can sign up, and then you'll be entered into a contest to win a Polaroid Two camera. Well, that's going to do it for the initial flipping the switch. And we hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you have any questions, comments, uh, you know, potential topics that, that you would like like to see discussed, just email me. This is Steve Goodson, and I'll be your host each and every month. So uh, just send, just shoot me an email. My email address is sgoodson at joemc.com. That's sgoodson at joemc.com. And thanks for listening, and we hope you tune in next month. <laughs>